thank you, Harold, for that prayer that reminds us how good God is. Isn't he good? Um, be honest with you, I am very tired today. I'm just kind of worn out from everything that's going on. And Harold's prayer kind of infused me and uh, got me excited about preaching to proclaim what God has done as we celebrate Advent. This is our last Sunday of Advent, and then on Christmas Eve we will come together and we will celebrate the birth of Christ. But it is miraculous for me, anyway, how God uses things in our lives to remind us. For me, this year, Advent has been has been really a rediscovery of Christmas. Um, God has used this sermon series to remind me just of what Christmas really means and what that little baby in the manger encompassed and what he brought to us as human beings. I'm, just, I'm very grateful for that. Um, before I begin, I do want to say a special thank you to some people who you normally don't see, but without, we couldn't do this, and the people online could not see us. Um, so I want to thank the, I'm going to just call them the, the tech crew, who is here every Sunday during the slides, during the video, during the sound, um, so that you in person can hear, and so that you online can see and hear. So um, if you see them, today, when you see them today, just give them a, a thank you. They don't ask for that, but um, sometimes it's just nice to be, uh, for us to recognize people who are behind the scenes who are never seen, but without whom we couldn't do what we do. So thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> woo, woo. So, uh, a while back, there were two farmers who were neighbors, and they had a feud that had been running for several years, and during those years, they hadn't even spoken to each other. Uh, the whole feud got started over a stray cat. Um, the stray cat wandered on to the farms, and both of the farmers started feeding the cat. So from there, everything went downhill because each farmer thought that the cat was theirs. So they quit talking to each other, and of course, when people don't talk because they're angry with, with each other, a grudge forms and it escalates, even though there is no communication to one another. And this grudge escalated to the point that one of the farmers dug a ditch to reroute a spring and make sure it divided their properties. So one day, uh, after several years of this feud going on, a carpenter comes into town looking for some work. So he goes up to the farm door and knocks on it, and uh, the farmhouse door, I should say. And uh, so the farmer answers, and uh, he goes, I'm a carpenter, and I'm just looking for some work. Do you have any work I could do? So the farmer thought and goes, I know what I'll do. I'll get this guy to build a fence. My neighbor doesn't want to, wants to make sure that our properties are divided. We won't even have to see each other. I'll just have this guy build a fence. So the farmer tells the carpenter, look, I want you to build me a privacy fence all the way down that creek where, that the other farmer had dug. 
and the carpenter looked at it and he goes, yeah, I can do that. That's great. That'd be a good job for me. But um, you don't have enough wood. I'll need a lot more wood. So the farmer goes into town and he goes to the lumber yard and he gets more wood. Meanwhile, the carpenter stays, gets the wood out of the barn and starts, starts to build something. So the farmer comes home from getting all the wood and as he's driving down the dirt road, he notices that there's no fence to be seen. There's nothing started. But instead, there's a bridge over the creek. And he got mad. He's like, that's not what I'm paying for. I didn't say anything about a bridge. I want a wall. Where's my wall? And so he drives up. And as he continues driving toward the house, he also notices that his neighbor is now crossing the bridge. So he gets out and he starts walking toward the bridge and toward his neighbor. And the neighbor sees him and they walk together and start speaking and, and the neighbor says with a kind of sheepish grin, you are a brave man. I didn't even think you wanted to hear my voice again. Can you forgive me? The first farmer was so surprised and so he reached out to shake the farmer's hand. This is pre-COVID by the way. So the first farmer reaches out to shake his hand and, uh, you know, with that silly grin and, you know, the way men talk. Oh, I knew it was your cat anyway. And so the feud stopped. So the story, this story is um, actually, the story ends this way. So the farmer says, hey, I still have some other work to the carpenter. I, I still have some other work that I could have you do. You know, thanks for building the bridge. He goes, so you want some more work? And the carpenter said, uh, no, my work here is finished. I need to move on now. So this story is by the singer-songwriter David Wilcox, and he uses it as an introduction to his song called Fearless Love. Um, not a top 10 hit, probably was never on the top 40 list of anything, but if you have a chance, you should listen to it. David Wilcox, Fearless Love, kind of folksy, um, and it is very, um, it's not like, it's probably from the 90s or 2000s. It's very relevant for, for today. Um, the song goes on to weave another story about a church protest. And one of the members gets caught up in it, in the protest. And, um, but then he remembers Jesus teaching to his disciples to love their enemies by by using the example of carrying a Roman soldier's pack twice the distance required by law. And the chorus goes, fearless love makes you cross the border. Fearless love makes you cross the border. If we ever needed to cross the border, it's this year. People are hopeless without hope. They are struggling. We as followers of Jesus have hope. We have peace. We have joy. We have love. People without Christ, not so much. I saw an article this week where, um, no surprise, mental health has declined greatly in America, actually throughout the world, except 
for those who attend church on a regular basis. Yay, church! <laughs> As you know, I'm, I'm a huge supporter of the local body of Christ. Um, when I was growing up, I was forced to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Good Southern Baptist. Um, but it was that church and that upbringing that got me through some very rough times. So I'm, I'm an avid supporter of the local body. I believe it's biblical. Um, I believe that Valley has a good um, local body atmosphere, a family atmosphere. So, you know, as I read this article, I was not surprised at all that regular attenders of church, whether in person or online, however you would attend now, are healthier psychologically than people who don't. That's not saying we don't struggle, that we don't have our days, but the reason is we have hope, we have peace, we have joy, and we have love. And it might not be obvious sometimes, but in those dark, dark moments, God shows up and he reminds us. Um, I was talking to her coworker yesterday. We were leaving work and she, um, she lost her mom, oh, probably about six months ago. And um, she was, she's a believer, a follower of Jesus. And we were talking and she's just like, Aaron, I don't know how people do it. I just don't know how people do it without God. I don't either. But I know that what happened on Christmas makes the difference. What God did through that little baby as we celebrate Advent makes the difference. We would be completely lost in so, I, I mean that in so many different ways, not just eternally, but we would be completely lost without Jesus. So as we study, as we continue to celebrate Advent, we remember that Christ embodies these characteristics. The four candles represent um, the four characteristics, which are hope, peace, joy, and today we talk about love. Um, and the love that Jesus embodied in our world is indeed fearless love because it crossed so many barriers. Besides simply lacking any fear, the love of Jesus defies and overcomes fear. Let me say that again. Besides simply lacking any fear, the love of Jesus defies and overcomes fear. Uh, an example of this would be um, years ago, we f had first gotten married, moved into an apartment, in an, into an apartment. and um, just in the middle of the night, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, I mean, this was decades ago, in the middle of the night, I woke up and I was like, I just felt this presence, like not a good presence, an evil presence, and it was very scare, scary, and I was very fearful, so I just remembered what my mom said and what she used to do. So I just started in my mind calling on the name of Jesus, just Jesus, Jesus. And eventually, you know, my, my spirit calmed down and I was able to go back to sleep. The love that Christ gives us does not 
take away our fear. It overcomes it. We as Christians live in love and we have days that we have things that we fear, but the love of Christ defies that fear. It overcomes that fear. So today we continue our journey through Advent. We are focusing on love. The love that Jesus brought into our world and into our individual lives. Just as a quick recap, Advent means coming or arrival, and the season is marked by expectation, waiting, anticipation, and longing. Advent is not just an extension of Christmas, it is a rediscovery of Christmas, a season that links the past, present, and future. Advent offers us the opportunity and the blessing to share in the ancient longing for the coming of the Messiah, to celebrate his birth, and to be alert for his second coming. Advent looks back in celebration at the hope fulfilled in Jesus' coming, while at the same time looking forward to his second coming with eager anticipation and looking toward the coming of his kingdom. During Advent, we actively and hopefully wait for both. And each week, we're focusing on a different attribute of God represented in the coming of Jesus. Hope, peace, joy, and today, love. As we've journeyed through previously on past Sundays, we've looked at different people in the nativity story. Uh, we've looked at their experiences, at their history, at what they were looking forward to. And we, we normally focused on an individual or a couple of individuals at the same time. But today we're gonna to take a different approach to this. We're gonna look at the story as a whole. And we're gonna look at all the characters in the biblical account of Christ's birth. Um, when we do, we're gonna realize the birth of Christ brings together a wide variety of people across many different divides and contrasts. When we begin our walk through the journey, uh, we start with Zachariah and Elizabeth and Joseph and Mary, the old and the young. The prophets and covenants of Israel's past and the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah and the new spiritual future. The separation and death of the past and the restoration and life now present. As we move forward, we meet the shepherds and the angels, the beings of earth and the beings of heaven, the physical and the spiritual. And as they head to the stable, there are animals as well as humans, the beings of creation. And here we can look to Matthew's Christmas account and meet the Magi. Who were these mysterious people? We know they, they were from the east. Um, we're not entirely sure exactly where they were from, but we do know they had followed a star a long distance to find and worship the promised Messiah. Uh, some scholars believe that the, when it says they came from the east, it means they came from China. Doesn't really matter where they came from. We know that they traveled a long distance. And whether they are most likely astrologers or some kind of rulers, the Magi are noble and wealthy men who demonstrate God bridging more, even more divides. The Magi are the esteemed opposite to the lowly shepherds in human social structures. But more importantly, they are Gentiles. They're not Jews. And their inclusion in the story of Jesus' birth echoes the radical idea 
that Christ the Messiah brings salvation and restoration to all people, not just the Jewish nation. The Magi are also, are also some kind of holy men. They seem to belong to a more mystical um, tradition that uh, a little more mystical than the Jewish leaders of their time and the Jewish structure but they importantly contrast the spiritual Jewish leaders of the day. If you ever notice when you read the scriptures about the birth of Christ, there are no Pharisees, no Sadducees, no Jewish spiritual VIPs invited to the manger. Instead, there are these travelers of a different race who receive an audience with King Herod, albeit it was a sinister one with sinister intentions from Herod, yet who are willing to disrupt their lives with a great journey and humble themselves to worship the baby of a poor, unassuming couple in the countryside. I mean, just think about that. These are, we call them wise men. They're noble of some kind. They're obviously well-to-do because they can take this long journey. There, they follow a star, and they know, somehow they know, the star means a new king has been born. And they come to Bethlehem, finally reaching the end of their journey, and instead of a palace, they come to a house. Instead of a king and queen who had a baby, they find a carpenter and his wife. Kind of makes you wonder how they felt but they were open to it. They didn't walk away. They, didn't, they weren't mad from all we know. They still worshiped and gave their gifts to the uh, Christ child. The cast of characters God assembled for the arrival of his son on earth is really just so out of our expectations, so not what we would have imagined or planned for the birth of a king. And probably even further from the expectations of the people of that time, surely from the expectations of the religious leaders of that time. They lived in this culture. They lived it every day. They knew so much about the divisions. To us, it may seem like a ragtag bunch, and we often make fun of it, and you know, but to them, to the Jews, it was downright blasphemy to have their Messiah be so lowly and associated with the full spectrum of unclean humanity and creation. They were expecting royalty, a leader who would save them from the Roman Empire. But in this way, in the way that Christ arrived, could he have united any more divisions simply by being born? Unlikely. He pretty much covered them all. And in so doing, God revealed something, God revealed several things about his love that I want us to explore today. The first thing is Christ is love embodied. Christ is love embodied. The Bible talks about love in many places. Throughout the whole scriptures, you find the love of God because God is love. And the Bible is his love story for all humanity. 
From creation, God made people and shared time with them in the garden as companions and children. When sin entered the world, bringing death and brokenness and separation from such a close companionship with God, he continued to work in covenant with the people. Through generations and generations, he, he worked his plans and promised a Messiah to make a way to restore that once unified relationship with humanity. That way is Jesus, and he is described as the groom and the church as his bride. And one day, the church will celebrate the feast of the bridegroom. This relationship with God that he brings us into is a relationship of love. It is a reunion with love itself. Have you ever talked to someone about your faith and your religion, and they're just like, Oh, that's just a bunch of do's and don'ts. That's, you know, you're just so conservative and so legalistic and, and blah, 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 you know. And they, they have just a wrong concept of what a relationship with God through Jesus truly is. And part of that is the church's fault. We've not always been good at sharing God's love and that it is about a relationship. But we know as firsthand as followers of Jesus, we've experienced this love. John the Apostle eloquently describes the love of God in the fourth chapter of 1 John, verses 7 through 16. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. John tells us that God is love. God personifies love. Love is his nature. It is who he is. And he has shown it to us by sending Jesus. When we come to Jesus giving him our lives, we are restored to that love. We are fulfilled in love. We live in him and he lives in us. We can count on God's love. It will never let us down. Great is thy faithfulness, an old hymn of the church, but a solid foundation of part of our faith. God is faithful to his children. He will never let us down. God's love fills us and fuels us. It calls us and enables us to love each other inside the church and to love all of humanity outside of the church. And that brings us to our second point. Love defines us 
and love propels us. Love defines us and it propels us. Jesus himself brought this excuse me, Jesus himself brought this reconnection and restoration to love when he entered the world. Near the end of his earthly ministry in John 13 verses 34 through 35, as he gathered with his 12 disciples for the last Passover meal before his death, he tells them, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. As Jesus teaches his disciples, he wants to make sure they love like he does. And here's the most important part. How will people know that they, the disciples, are and were followers of Jesus? By the love that they show to other people. How will the world know that we follow Jesus? By the love that we show to other people. You've heard this before. There's even a, like a campfire song. How will people know we are Christians? They know we are Christians by our love. Love is what defines us as a Christian and as a Christian church. Love is what defines us as a Christian and as a Christian church. It marks us and characterizes us, at least it should. We've not always been good at this. Not just Valley, but the church as a whole, not just recently, but throughout the ages. We as a church body don't always do a great job of this loving people. It's so easy for us to point the finger at some pretty big wrongs by the church through history. And we can all probably think of public Christians and churches in our time who makes us cringe with anger and embarrassment at their rigid, unloving actions. I just wonder, not just as a whole, because we all can do that. We can point at churches that we look at or individuals and you just like, oh, that's, that's not godly. And we're not talking about, we're talking about the way they treat people. That, that's not of God. God wouldn't want you to do that. But then we have to look closer at ourselves. And I sometimes wonder in the many churches across the world, how many thousands of people sit in church struggling with an addiction, with sexual identity, a past sin, with confusion or wonders about their faith, but they don't share their struggles because they are so afraid. They don't sit in love, they sit in fear. We look at ourselves. Of course none of us are perfect. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need to the Christ. We wouldn't need a Messiah. But we're not perfect, and we do need a Messiah. We're not perfect as individuals. We're not perfect as a church, whether an individual church, a denomination, or the universal church. We all have sinned. But each of us certainly can find opportunities in this Christmas season and in our current and cultural climate to allow God's love to flow through us 
to others. We do this in different ways. And sometimes we think, especially at Christmas time, oh, I have to get my wife the best gift so that she knows I love her. I have to get my kid everything they want so they know that we love them. I have to give to Lottie Moon so God knows that I love him. But really, sometimes we just need to listen a little better. We just need to hear people out. Husbands, I know this is stereotypical talking. Maybe just you need to do the dishes or pick up dinner on the way home. Kids, maybe you just need to clean up after yourself. <coughs> Sorry. Love isn't always this grand gesture. It is a continual action. Love isn't always a grand gesture. Those are nice and they have their place and their timing. But love is a continual action. On that note, we move to our third point. Love empowers us to cross the border. Love empowers us to cross the borders. And I am telling you that when I was pre preparing for the sermon, this just hit me. I mean, this really stuck with me because this year we have the opportunity to cross so many borders. With everything that's been going on in our church, in our community, in our country, and in our world, we, the church, Valley Baptist Church, have the opportunity to cross so many borders. In this time of transition, we can cross so many borders. In this time of uncertainty, we still can cross borders to show love to everybody. We live in divided times. I can sit down with each individual person or each family and we can talk about politics, we could talk about religion, we could talk about racial reconciliation. And the joke is that if you have three Baptists together, you have five opinions. But there is something that unites us that is greater than what divides us. And I am thankful for that. In our divided times, it does seem that our culture, our nation, our world, our church, and our people have multiplied the ways to divide us. I mean, even within, let's take, let's take politics. I'll walk lightly here. But even within the different parties, there's divisions within the parties. And within those divisions, there's even more divisions. We have found ways to divide us. In so, many, in so many organizations and places, it just seems that the world has created more of the us and thems than the we's. 
It's by no means an excuse, but throughout history, our world has been filled with wars, plunder, and oppression. There have always been the weak and the powerful, the haves and the have-nots. There has been too much us versus them since Jesus' day and even further back in history, and sadly, there still is. This is why Jesus' teaching was so radical. In his culture, when he was born, the us and the thems were the Jews and the Gentiles. It was a great division. Not meaning like, woo, that's great, but like, wow, that's a lot. It was a big division that was strongly encouraged in their culture in many ways. And it was radical for Jesus to come in such a way and invite Gentiles to the birth of the Jewish Messiah. It's why God's love is so radical. Because we open our doors as a church to all who would come. That's the call of Christ. It's not to those who love to attend church meetings. It's not to those who are clean and and good enough for Christ. It's not even to those who know of him. It is to all, all people, no matter where you come from, what your lifestyle is, the love of Christ is open to you. And as a church, we must open our arms to all people. Now, I will say this. Because we welcome all people does not mean we accept all behaviors. But we are all humans created in the image of God. And for that reason, and that reason only, we are to love all people. Is it easy? No. If you've ever worked retail, you understand. People are not always nice. But people's actions are not what fuels my actions. Love is what characterizes us and what propels us into the world. It is radical. Back then, it was radical, really radical. And today, it remains radical. We have to go beyond ourselves. You've heard, Jesus said this about it in Matthew 5, verses 43 through 44. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Man, that's radical. Because you ask someone in the world to pray for their enemy? Mm Mm-mm. I don't know if some of you are old enough. Um, Good Times, the uh, TV show. The neighbor said this, and they were talking about... um, do unto others as you would have them do as you would have them do unto you. And the neighbor just said, mm do unto the dude before the dude do it to you. And that was back probably in the 70s and 80s that that was said. And it's magnified. And that's how the world thinks. Do it to someone else before it's done unto you. 
And that's not the good thing. But this is a radical kind of love, a radical kind of thinking. Jesus didn't only tear down the walls of division at his birth, he continually reached across the chasm of separation and exclusion. He befriended hated tax collectors and even invited one, Matthew, to be his disciple. He spoke with the Samaritan woman at the well, and this broke several societal taboos at one time. Jews didn't associate with Samaritans, they were hated. And Jewish men especially did not talk with women like this in public. Jesus told his listeners that if a dreaded Roman soldier forced them to carry his pack for a mile, which they did, which they could, and they did, that they were to carry it for two miles. One of Jesus' most powerful stories is of this unexpected love in action is the story of the Good Samaritan. I think we all know it. A traveler was robbed and beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. Priest comes along, goes to the other side of the road to avoid the bloody scene. An assistant priest did the same. But finally, a Samaritan came along and saw the man and stopped to help. The Samaritan bandaged the man's wounds and put him on his donkey and delivered him to an inn where the Samaritan paid the innkeeper to take care of the man until he could return. This is a good and challenging story for us today, and I'm sure we've all heard plenty of lessons and sermons on it. But it was astounding, just unheard of, to Jesus' ancient listeners. The Jews hated the Samaritans, hated the Samaritans. Their racism against the Samaritans went back centuries. When the kingdom of Israel split, the Samaritans intermarried with foreigners and established their own temple to worship in. The Jews considered them an inferior race with a corrupt religion and viewed them with prejudice and disdain. But this now is who Jesus is holding up as an example of someone who knows how to love their neighbor. Jesus once again was crossing the divide. He reached across the cultural, spiritual, political, and racial divisions, and he calls us to do the same thing. He was illustrating the kind of love John describes later in 1 John 4, verses 18 through 19. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Jesus' love is fearless love that calls us and enables us to cross the borders, to tear down barriers, to reach out above the disagreements. The fear that is driven out by love is the fear within ourselves. Love overcomes the fear of others who may not look like us, sound like us, act like us, share the same perspective or experience as us. This year we did a study called The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. It was a very challenging study. As a white middle-class male in America, I had to look at myself and I had to say, how have I allowed racism 
to continue within my realm of influence in my church, in my work, in my heart, and in my mind. This is what we're talking about. One aspect of what we're talking about. How do we allow things like racism to cause fear in our lives and stop us from loving others who are different from us? That's what Jesus came to conquer. Perfect love casts out fear. We have that perfect love within us, the Holy Spirit. And when we are afraid because somebody doesn't talk like us, they don't act like us, is it challenging? Yes. But can we cross that barrier? Yes. How? Through love. You don't have to agree with somebody to love them. You don't even have to like somebody to love them. But we are commanded to love one another. And when the church rises up and starts to do that, you will see this world changed radically. But more importantly, you will see individual lives changed. It is challenging. And maybe reaching across the divide, maybe building a bridge begins with your family. Maybe it begins in your home, your neighborhood, your workplace, or your community. We are all different and we all have different challenges. We all have different fears. But we all serve the same God and we all have that same source of love. Jesus at Christmas time and all the time calls us together into his loving presence and invites us to make room for all, whether we think they deserve it or not. There is a humility in love, a willingness to put someone else first. Sometimes love means taking the simple step of building that bridge as a gesture and as an invitation. Sometimes it's being willing to listen and not defend, just listen. It is always being willing to choose to see someone else, not as other, but as us. Equally loved by God, equally welcomed into his presence, equally drawn into and propelled out of his miraculous, divine, all-consuming love. This is God's love. This is the gift of Christ. This is the heart of Christmas. Valley, we are rapidly approaching Christmas Day. It's literally right around the corner. So I invite all of us, I challenge all of us to continue to rediscover Christmas by rediscovering the overwhelming, all-encompassing, all-welcoming love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and lonely son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life.
For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 3, 16 and 17. As we rediscover Christmas, we rediscover that wonderful love of Christ. And I believe that as we rediscover Christmas, we will rediscover the purpose of our church. We will rediscover what it is that God is calling us to. May we never lose sight that our core purpose as a church is to love God and love others. And in that love, we tell others of Jesus of what he's done for us and what he can do for them. Christmas is a wonderful holiday. It's my favorite time of year. I get all wrapped up in all the trimmings and, you know, baking cookies, buying gifts, all the singing, usually. But then I'm reminded that those are just add-ons to the meaning of Christmas. That is not the meaning of Christmas. And if you have um, watched any recent, recently made cartoons of Christmas and what the true meaning of Christmas is, they miss the mark. They say it's about family, it's about loving each other, but we cannot love each other without the love of Christ. Christ has to be the focus or we don't know how to love. He teaches us to love. So as we rediscover Christmas on this last Sunday of Advent, let's rediscover love. Because that is the greatest gift given to us and that's the greatest gift we can give to others. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Advent. When we are reminded of what Christmas truly is all about, we are reminded of what came to us in that little baby born in the manger. Hope. Hope for the present and for the future. Peace. No matter what storms we are going through, we have peace of mind and soul knowing that you are with us. Joy. A great exuberance. The ability to be happy with where we are and with whose we are, and love. To be known, to be fully known, and fully loved, and then to be able to love as you love us. You are a great God, worthy of all our praise. We are grateful, O oh God, for your coming down to earth, for becoming one of us, 
and loving us, for dying for us and for rising again. And one day you will come back for your church. We are grateful. We ask that you would help us to love as you have loved us. Help us to build the bridge across the great divide, whether it's a bridge between different races, different beliefs, different lifestyles, different experiences. May we love people as you love them. And in so doing, may they come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Love is wonderful, and I hope that you have experienced the love of Christ. If you have never experienced the love of Christ, then we have an invitation for you. You can contact me, contact the church, um, and we want to tell you how you can do that. Maybe you have experienced it, but it, it has waned. You have walked away or you've let the world overcome that. All you have to do is turn around and look to God. The invitation is always open. And even though we're not allowed, well, we're not allowed, even though for safety reasons we're not having an altar call, the invitation remains open. Contact us through the wonderful modern technology that is available to you through the phone, through the web, however you want to contact us. And we'll be happy to talk to you about it.